Hello and welcome to American Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Simonson. Today's guest is missionary Lance Roberts. Lance and I have known each other for many years. Every time we get in the same room, our discussions are long and heartfelt, as was the case in this interview, which is why there are two parts. Part one will give us a look at who Lance is and what his work is all about. Part two will be a glimpse at two friends discussing their thoughts and observations of the world. Lance and his wife currently lead a YWAM base in Ternopil, Ukraine. YWAM, which stands for Youth with a Mission, was sparked by the vision of a young man while visiting the Bahamas in 1956. Today, YWAM has a staff of over 18,000 people, with over 1,200 ministry locations across the world. In this podcast, we learn a little about Lance's day-to-day life as a YWAM base leader, some of the work they do in Ukraine, and what led Lance from being a firefighter in the Pacific Northwest to traveling across the world to be a missionary and start a family in the former Soviet Union. Lance describes his vision and hope for Ukraine as a nation that can impact the world in a positive way. We discuss Ukraine's turbulent history and look at the ways that the U.S. and Ukraine are similar and different. We discuss how, by starting a photography club, Lance hopes to give locals a sense of place, identity, and ownership of the land they live in. Thank you for joining us on this episode of American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and find us on social media. And now I present my conversation with missionary Lance Roberts. I'm here with Lance Roberts. He's a, a missionary in Ukraine with Youth with a Mission. And actually, you're a base leader. Yeah. My wife and I, we, we, lead, we lead the work there in Ternopil, which is Ternopil with a T and a P, not a C-H and a B. Yeah. Give me a, a glimpse at a, a day in the life of you and your wife or a week. What does that look like? Yeah, so... Um, we're as a as a missions organization. We are, you know, we, we have a lot of stuff going on, and um, and we have a we have a team of about twenty two people, and they're all doing different things. So um, our our typical day is is um, structured around meeting with people, making sure they're doing okay, making sure they're the stuff that they're doing is okay, everything's running smoothly. The we have a facility that we that we operate, so we got to make sure that you know everything is running smoothly there as well. So it's it's. A lot of administration, but it's uh, also a lot of just um, just making sure people are okay. So that's 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 a typical week, um, and that looks like meetings and more meetings. Actually, one of the uh, one of the jokes in why and in, in youth with a mission is um, it's not youth with a mission; it's youth with a meeting. <laughs> yeah, that's. I've heard I've heard youth without a mother, uh, or young women after men, or young warriors after. Yeah, you know, maidens and I mean it's it's a youth organization, so of course you're going to have a lot of funny funny acronyms. For what does the organization think about those other terms? Um, I think they're fine with it. Typically, it's a youthful organization, so um, so it's lighthearted. It's lighthearted, and yeah. they would call us a movement, not necessarily an organization. Okay. Um. So yeah, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun involved with what we do. Okay. So yeah. what what exactly are you doing at your base? What are your objectives? So we um, we have all sorts of stuff. One of our one of our big ones is one of our guys. He's uh, planning churches in our region, and we have a guy that works with uh, people addicted to alcohol and drugs. So he uh, he he meets with them, gets them into rehab, and he knows our city better than anyone. And then we have uh, somebody that works with uh, children at risk. And we do family ministries, and and uh, one of our main things is our discipleship training school, 
which um, people come and it's a six six month course where they come and basically kind of dive into what does it mean to be a Christian in today's world and a holistic view of discipleship instead of just going to church on Sunday and then that's it you know how how does how does Jesus interact with your everyday life so this is uh, kind of the core of what we do um, but yeah we do lots of things it's very very event oriented as well so we work with different churches uh, in in the in the region to do different events and stuff as well and we we have teams that come through and we host and supply what kind of events are you talking about uh like um we just got done a few years ago it's it's been what 502 years since the reformation began uh so we had this thing called r500 which was um celebrating 500 years so we did events all all year about the reformation and what that means to society and so we we did stuff in the in the parks and in the cent like the city center and so it's just just different kinds of events how was that taken in ukraine did uh, they assimilate at all with the protestant reformation uh the if you if you look at the geographical location we were part of poland so uh in in history actually Western Ukraine is where we're, we're located, and it was part of everything, right? So, um, one one of our um, one of our friends, his his father or grandfather had had seven different passports, and he never moved. So, seven different nations were uh, over him. So, wow, is yeah. that in Ternopil? Yeah, that's in Ternopil. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, everybody's got a piece of that pie in history. So. The the people that you said are, are doing work with you, like yeah. you have people in different um, missions or objectives, are those people that are from Ukraine or are those people from who are from across the world? We have a good mix. We have about half half Ukrainians, a uh, few from actually the, the city that we're working in, and then others from all around Ukraine. And then we have um, a lady from Kazakhstan, one from Russia. And um, some from America and, and Australia, so we we got a good we got a good mix. We we try to be very international as an organization, so it really helps with the dynamic of what we do and gives us a really good perspective. So, the mission that you guys have, like your work in Ukraine, how much of that is like humanitarian aid, and how much of that is evangelistic? So, as a as a mission, we have a threefold calling. Uh, one is evangelism, one is mercy ministries, and one is training. Um, and there's different words for that now, but that's kind of the basis of what we do. So, we try to keep we try to keep all three of those in focus. Um, and it really depends on who comes in as staff, because uh, we really want to champion our staff uh, and what what they feel like their role is in the world. So. Um, so it really depends on who comes in, what the emphasis is. So we're, we're doing all three, some to a greater degree than others, but, uh, but that's, that's kind of the focus of youth with a mission in general. Looking at the evangelism and the mercy, which I would call a humanitarian aid in a way, how is that received in Ternopil by the, the native people there? Um, Ternopil is an interesting, uh, interesting city in, in the fact that, um, uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a gateway between the east and west in terms of uh, you you start uh, in in eastern Ukraine it's very orthodox and then uh, by the time you hit us it's more Greek Greek Catholic uh, which used to be um, Greek Orthodox um, but there was a uh, a war and allegiances changed and so they became Greek Catholic and then. Uh, then once you hit Poland, it's Catholic. So, and then Protestants are kind of just strewn out through all 
all of Ukraine. So, um, in general, it's pretty, it's pretty, um, it's a pretty good mix, and they're they're pretty tolerant of each other. I mean, there's fighting, um, but uh, it's not. There's not like a one. Like Orthodoxy is like the national religion, um, but but it's pretty open to everybody else. Just because there is quite the spread in Ukraine, and and everybody's doing something good. So. Okay. What would uh, YWAM be considered? Uh, we're interdenominational, um, so we we have everybody uh, from you know Catholics um, and you know evangelicals and charismatics and Pentecostal. Like we. Calvin, it's like you name it, we got it. Um, How does that work out? You know, uh, I had a I had a Calvinist friend uh, the other day. Uh, I was talking to him, and and he said, you know, I, I, one of my biggest fears coming into into YWAM was everybody would hate my viewpoints because you know, you know, he's a very strong Calvinist, like in theology. Um, and he said, but you know what? Like, I've had more fights at home than I have here. And so uh, a lot of people say it can't work that you're working interdenominationally, but when you're when you're kind of when you break down the gospel and you break down the body of Christ, like there's some fundamentals that unite us all. And and so YOM does a really good job of actually bridging gaps instead of creating uh, divides. So sometimes you know I, every organization, every movement has its uh, difficulties, and we definitely do, but. Um, in general, we're bridge builders, and and so it works. It works remarkably well. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved with Youth with a Mission, um, your upbringing um, in Oregon, uh, and then we can we can move from there. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Central Oregon. Um, your typical Central Oregon family uh, out in the middle of nowhere, and um, we had five acres, motorcycles, and cows. And uh, so, you know, it's, we're a very active family. We would, you know, go up to the Cascade Lakes, uh, go up into the Ochoco Mountains and, you know, camp for weeks and just, just a lot of uh, fun stuff. I mean, we're a very active family. Um, my parents were very involved in the church and uh, doing ministry. And, and so, uh, so it was something that was kind of, I guess I grew up with it. So it was something that I kind of naturally leaned towards, um, kind of others focused and and just see a, see a need meet a need kind of thing going further back my grandparents were missionaries in Bolivia and and Peru and uh, Mexico City and all these amazing places so I, I grew up hearing stories of of missionaries and and so I I always had this kind of draw towards just seeing what it was like to to be a missionary and to live in another country so I actually went when I was uh, 16 with my dad. We went to Ukraine uh, and worked on a church there. And, and I fell in love with the culture. And um, it just felt like home to me. I, did, I didn't know why, but came back uh, to the States, became a firefighter, did that for a while. I worked with Jefferson County Fire Department. They did structural and wildland. So, it, I mean, you, you got to be everything in those kind of locations. So, so I did that for about five years um, and uh, just had this desire to go back to Ukraine. So I, I went as this kind of test of like, is this something I'm interested in or is it something that I like really want to do? And so I had never heard of YWAM before, Youth with a Mission. It just, it was not on my radar. I just wanted to see what missions was like. And Youth with a Mission had this program where it was, you know, training and then an outreach. And it was like six months, so it wasn't too long. It wasn't too short. So I just went 
and I got stuck. I mean, it was just like, it was like, it, it kind of showed me, like, it kind of explained to me my personality, explained to me my desires, it explained to me my drive to, to see people succeed and, and to see people discipled. And so I just fell in love with the whole program and, and living in another country and, and just seeing young people really excited about um, seeing awesome things happen in the world and, and do it with this deep faith. So, yeah, so I, I uh, never really looked back. I kind of just stayed in Ukraine ever since. So, okay. yeah. And you met your wife there? Yeah, I met my wife, yeah. She was uh, at a different different base. Actually, at the base we're at now, she was there. I was actually in the capital in Kiev to start off with. Uh, so then we got married, and uh, a year later, we started uh, leading the work there in, in Chernobyl. What's the, the difference between Kiev and Chernobyl to you? Massive. It's a big difference. Actually, when I moved to Chernobyl, it, it took me about a year because um, there's there's quite a culture shock because uh, Kiev is like, it's a big city. I mean, it was like 3 million people. I'm from a town of like, when I left, it was like 1,000 people, right? So you go from 1,000 people to you know, three million. It, it's, it's a big shock. <laughs> and, uh, so you're, it, it, but everything was new. Everything was exciting. The skyline was beautiful. And so I, um, I, I dealt with it. Um, but traffic all the time, um, people were just running around, uh, just busy, right? I mean, it's a capital city. So, you know, it, when I was there, it was great. Um, and it was more kind of a uh, rush, like a kind of mix between Ukrainian and Russian because actually Ukraine is, has a, has a big mix. Um, so then, uh, when I moved to Ternopil, it was like Ukrainian and I didn't realize how different, how different it was. Very, very much more relational, slower. Like I, I described Ternopil as a big village. So it's about 350,000 people, but it feels really, really small. And um, just it, it's just perfect for my personality. <laughs> you know, you you can't get anything done without a relationship. Whereas in Kiev, I could just do anything I needed to by myself. Um, but in Chernobyl, I couldn't. Like I had to know somebody that knew somebody that could get something done. And you couldn't do anything without having coffee first, or you know, like like getting to know somebody. And so for for me, it was a huge shift because I I'm a I, I tend to be like, I can get it done myself because it's quicker. So I really had to shift my culture of, I will always take somebody along with me because that's what I have to do. So, and honestly, I do that now. It's, it's like second nature to me because I always want somebody with me doing something. And um, it's kind of funny because that's what youth right now really want. They don't want to be by themselves. They want to do something with someone. So it really helped me kind of connect with this next generation as well. So it's, it's all good stuff. So how old were you when you moved to Ukraine? Um, it's hard to remember. I think I was 22 when I moved there. So I've been there for about 13 years. Okay. Yeah. So, so for the first 22 years of your life, you spent for the most part in America, small yeah. town in Oregon. Yep. And then you moved to Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and then you've been back and forth since then. What are some of the, the differences that you see between the two nations, and what are some things that are similar? Uh, one of the, the biggest differences is the pace, the pace of things. It's, um, yeah, at least in, uh, in Chernobyl, everything, uh, I have to tell the Americans when they come, like, uh, you can't think of efficiency 
or productivity as the highest goal. Like you have to think of the relationship in what you're doing as the highest goal. And everything that you think should be done quick, like slow it down by like like 10% or like by 10, not even 10%, by 10. And that's about the speed you're going to go um, to get things done. Like you can spend all day to look for one item um, because that's just what happens sometimes um, because it's such a relational culture. So um, that's one of the biggest differences that I, that I had to get used to in Ukraine was to slow myself down to not try to think productivity was the highest goal. Uh, and in, in the States, um, there's a lot of when I'm actually this, this trip, I'm, I'm back to in the States for about, um, uh, five weeks. And, uh, like one of the things that I've been noticing right now is America's full of excess. Like we, we have an excess of things. Uh, and in Ukraine, it's, um, like not excess, but they have nice when they invest, they invest big, right? So everybody has the best iPhone. And there's a bit of an image thing with that, right? So it looks really cool to have the latest iPhone. Um, but then again, they live in, you know, three generations in one household. Whereas here, you know, you can have two people in this massive house that's got like three or four rooms. So that would never be the case in Ukraine because you'd have every room full of someone. So that's, um, that's a typical kind of Ukrainian and American difference. So a massive house to you is having three or four bedrooms? Yes. <laughs> and, well, you know, when, you, when you're living in a, apartment buildings, it's like nine stories high um, and like seven entrances and it's like two rooms and it's not like two rooms in a living room. It's like two rooms or a three-room apartment. Yeah. Some people have a one-room apartment, and it's just one-room apartment with a, a kitchen. And, um, like, you're kind of compact. And that's what one of the things that, uh, that I've learned in Ukraine is everybody's very compact. So and that's why Chernobyl feels so small, even though it's about the size, like the same population as Tacoma, right? But it's not even, like, you can drive through Tacoma forever. But there you can drive through the city in, like, you know, 10 minutes. But, yeah, it's... Uh, it's just a very different way of living. It's a very relational, multi-generational. Um, like your alone time is done outside, not in your home, just because you have so many people living at the house. And like we, we don't do that as as uh, Americans. Like we we just have our family in our apartment. What is your current living situation like? Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, we we actually our landlady uh, wanted to sell the apartment we were renting. So um, we, we were asked to move out about Christmas time. So we've been uh, kind of not homeless, but we've been uh, skipping apartments and, and different places at the moment. Uh, but we're actually looking to buy a, buy a place. It's right next to our facility. Um, and you, so, you personally as a couple? Yeah, we, we personally as a couple. Okay. Yeah, so we're looking to buy, uh, buy a house. And uh, so there's been some hiccups with that. I mean, in Ukraine, everything's a lot slower. Um, and, uh, it's a very different system there in terms of like government and like, uh, purchasing things and legalities. So it's a steep learning curve at times, but, uh, so our current living situation is in another staff member's apartment while they're in the States for a year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And then how many children do you have? We have one. One, okay. uh, one young, amazing son. Yeah. yeah. How's that going? Raising a child on the mission field? You know, honestly, one of my biggest fears uh, about being on the, on, on the field is, is I never wanted to raise kids on the mission field. And because um, uh, it, it brought a lot of fear for me because I've met a lot of missionary kids and, and they're all amazing. But they've all had this, uh, they've all had the same struggle. And uh, it's a struggle of identity. It's a struggle of like, um, like, like, who am I? Where am I from? Um, like, trying to like pick: am I Ukrainian or am I American? Because they're like, our son is American, right? Our household, our our values, they're American, even though we're living in Ukraine. So he he's going to grow up living in an American culture, but when he leaves the door, he's in Ukrainian culture. So he's going to have to reconcile that difference. And for me, that's, it's kind of, uh, to help him through that, it's going to be really like one of our high, like high priorities because it, it's, it's not the easiest thing to be a missionary, a missionary kid. Um, and, and typically missionaries, we, we can, we can work a lot. We can be workaholics and kind of forget our family so we're we're trying to be very intentional at making sure that we have family time. Um, we're we're taking care of ourselves just as much as we're trying to take care of our families uh, that work with us. So yeah, so it's it's a delicate balance, but sometimes it's difficult. Yeah. Do you see any benefits to having to raising a child in the mission field? Yeah, um, I've never seen more amazing, adaptable people that that really love people. They're super compassionate. Um, they they're doing amazing things. They they think differently. Um, they can go into a situation, read a situation, and and affect good change wherever they go. Um, yeah. So there, it's it's a it's a blessing, but it's also a difficulty. And um, one of the things is as we have to remember as parents is um, like this is Megan and my this is our our calling. This is our job. It's not our son's job. So we have to remember that, you know, eventually he's going to have to choose what he wants to do. And, um, like, we just have to help him along, along that line. But, but I, I, I'm always asking missionary kids or, like, grown-up missionary kids, like, any advice. And they say, it's hard, but it's worth it. Um, and some people, there, there are some people that would say it was, it was horrible, right? Um, so we're hoping that we're going to be on the, it's, it was hard, but it was awesome <laughs> yeah. side of things. Yeah. So what is it like traveling back to the States? Cause you come back, how, like how often do you come back to the States? We try to come every two years. Um, and we're realizing we need to try to come back more often. Um, because sometimes you just become a, um, uh, like a Facebook page. And then people just kind of see you as a Facebook page. They forget that you're an actual person. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, um, and because of how we actually raise, how we actually live in the field is, is based on people's generosity. And like, you know, we, we don't get paid by Youth with a Mission. Youth with a Mission doesn't pay anyone. So we raise our own funds. So we're, we're like permanent volunteers. So, um, yeah, so we really need to, I don't want to say market ourselves, but we need to, we need to remind people that we exist. 
So and, and have those uh, relationships. Yeah. So we're we're, we're relationally based, um, uh, financed really. So, um, how what do you think of that model? You know, it's 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 good and it's it's got its pluses and minuses. Um, we're a very light organization that way. Um, we can start new things very easily. We can, uh, we can try different things that, that can either work or fail um, because we are, we're not, actually why Youth with a Mission is decentralized. We have no headquarters, actually. So it's uh, the things that hold us together is a common, common values, uh, common calling and relationships. Um, so we, we, um, we really, like we're, we're a, light, a light organization that, that has started many things in the world and we'll continue to do that because we are how we are funded and um, we can close up shop really easy we can open up shop really easy whereas if you have a centralized organization it takes a long a lot longer do the proposals and and um, it takes a lot more money to actually get stuff going Um, we we joke that we're all you know dirt poor we're not all dirt poor but um, but a lot of us are right at the at the edge. <laughs> How does it work with like financing or insurance or permits for different things that you're doing in country? Um, if there isn't a, a centralized uh, YWAM mm-hmm. organization, what does that look like um, for each location that you guys are at? Right. So uh, a typical like uh, denominational missions or organization would require you to like raise a certain amount of money before you can go. Um, and then um, then they the, the centralized thing would, would take care of your insurance, make sure you're paid, um, this kind of thing. So your finances are kind of run for you. Whereas YWAM, uh, we all have to be kind of uh, self-maintained that way, uh, which puts uh, which puts us. Um, my wife and I kind of one of those weird kind of categories because we are considered self-employed. Um, so the, at, at when, when, uh, insurance was required, we had to actually have insurance, um, even though we were living in the States. So, um, even though you weren't living in the States, even though we weren't living in the States. Right. So it was, it was really expensive. So it was almost half of our income was just on insurance for a while. Wow. <laughs> and so... Did you so, get to keep your doctors? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know who my doctor... Could you I, even apply that insurance when you were in Ukraine? No. So what we what we had to do is we had to have an international insurance, which is also why it was, was so high. Okay. Um, but uh, but actually, when we, when we had our son, um, we... If we wouldn't have had insurance, it would actually been cheaper <laughs> to <laughs> to actually have him than than having insurance. How so? Because um, uh, we paid for insurance, and then the the mix of co- paying for insurance and then having our son, the the bills combined was more than actually just having him outright and paying cash. So, wow. yeah, I mean it's and that's where we're in this kind of weird weird category. So we actually had to drop our insurance. So we're we're right now trying to figure out how to do it better. Did you have your son in America or in Yeah, Ukraine? so we came back uh to the states to have him because okay. uh, it's it was our first son and um the Ukrainian medical system is not especially where we're at is not really very reliable. Um 
uh, in some ways. So we we just uh, and and we don't have a, a the support structure where we have grandma and grandpa in Ukraine to you know help us for that first little bit. So it, it was easier for us to come home and have 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 him and then then go back. Yeah. So how long were you in the states? Yeah. So because of flight regulations, we had to come early. Um, because they won't let you fly after a certain date. And then to, to wait for passports and different documents, it took about three months. So we were, we were in the States for about six months. Okay. Yeah. And then what was that like traveling with a newborn? Oh, man. I'd rather travel with a newborn than travel with a toddler. <laughs> so <laughs> newborns are easy. You just ask for a little bassinet, and then you can just, he just sleeps, eats, and sleeps, and eats. Um, but uh, coming back... Um, our son didn't really know how to fall asleep outside of his crib. And um, so we were up for about 26 hours and he slept for about three. Wow. Yeah. So it was pretty, it was a pretty brutal air, air. You know, you know, those families on the airplane that everybody's like, oh no, not those families. We were one of those families, but we couldn't help it. Like he just wouldn't sleep. Yeah. So yeah, we, we also didn't get much sleep out of, out of that as well. Oh man. So let's, uh, let's go back to Ukraine. Yeah. I want to talk about some of the stuff you're doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two things that really interest me. One is the you guys explore castles, and then the other is that you have a photo club that you've started. Yeah. Um, which one do you want to talk about first? Um, actually, we can talk about uh, both at once because one came out of the other. Okay. And they both came out of each other. <laughs> so uh, when uh, we, had been, we had been married, Megan and I had been married for, I don't know, about, like six months or seven months and uh Megan's sisters came to visit and they asked us, Oh, what is there to do around here? And we had no idea. We had been so focused on our on our work and what we were doing that we hadn't even explored the area or done anything like fun in that in that regard. So um we determined that we need to know our area. In order to love somewhere you have to understand that place. So um one of the things that we've we found is is our our state or our oblast, which is a state. Our state is um, has has the highest amount of castle ruins in the entire country. So there's about 36 that I know of, and so we started visiting castles, and uh, so we we called it castle hunting. So we, at the time, we had this little dinky car that. Um, probably shouldn't have gone the places we were going but we took it there anyway and so we would just go and have a picnic and you know i started taking pictures of the castles because they were pretty interesting and um so then we just started exploring we found some awesome places one of our favorite places in the world is just an hour from from the city uh this giant rock on this hill right next to this old old monastery uh fortress monastery it's just beautiful so peaceful and uh it was started by dominicans actually way back when so um so yeah so we just started understanding the history and and looking at cemeteries and seeing the you can actually tell a lot about a country by the cemeteries especially in ukraine whatever cemetery is taken care of that is who actually lives there now um and then the the cemetery that's like completely dilapidated was the previous resident right so um, so you can start looking at the, at the sad histories of like the Nazis came through, through there and wiped out Jews everywhere. There's like 15,000 Jews in one city that was 
massacred. Um, there were ghettos all throughout, actually, Ukraine, even in our little our little state. When you was, say ghetto, what do you mean by that? Um, it's where the Jews were rounded up and shoved into one little part of the city. And um, there's there's mass graves found in other places. So, I mean, it's uh, like uh, like that part of of uh, world history hit Ukraine as well, you know. So, it, and then there's a the Polish-Ukrainian war. Um, well, after World War II, and they redefined the borders. Part of uh, Poland became Ukraine, and vice versa. So they were fighting each other back into their their respective countries, and so it was it was it was a brutal history. Um, but the more you understand it, the more you start to love it. The more you start to understand, okay, how do we help these people? How do we how do we start making changes? Uh, how do we see the world now? Now we can understand the worldview a little better. So actually, castle exploration has helped us tremendously in understanding the Ukrainian mindset. So uh, along with that, uh, I, I did a project with a local coffee shop and um, just trying to promote this history, just helping people understand that there's beauty, beauty in Ukraine where people are just trying to leave, right? Um, because they don't see hope or there's, there's few people that do like really have hope for Ukraine. Uh, but a lot of people just want to leave. So what we were trying to do is just kind of create this hope that there's beauty and, and history and something worth va- that, that is valuable in Ukraine. So um, we just put up my photos and I had, you know, how many kilometers from the coffee shop to this place and that place. So I was up there for, for a few months. And um, so at the start of this dialogue of, of uh, like, oh, have you been to this castle? Have you been to this castle? And so I was actually starting to tell Ukrainians where the castles were because <laughs> they had they didn't know some of them. So I felt kind of cool that way, right? Um, so the photo club kind of came out of this idea. Uh, we wanted to tell the stories of Chernobyl, uh, and um, whether that be people or history or or anything. So we had a professional photographer come on staff. Um, he's working in on a project right now in the Congo telling stories of hope and beauty of the Congo because we only hear about Ebola and war. So they're trying to they're trying to show people that there's beauty and innovation and you know just awesome things coming out of the Congo. What's his name? Ryan Carter. Ryan Carter Images. He's he's amazing. Yeah. And um, they're it's uh, the the project is called Kitoko Oyo, and uh, I, I highly recommend it. They're um, they're in in the process of making a book and a documentary. So so I, I'm I'm privileged to have awesome people around me that are doing awesome things. And um, so this is one of the things. So with him, we started this uh, photo club where we're, you know, going around taking pictures of stuff and, and just trying to tell the story in, in fun ways and, and growing community. Yeah. So what, what, is, what did that um, turn into? Like how many people, like how did you start out that club? How many people showed up? And then did you guys take field trips or? Yeah, so... The it's you know the the hard part is everybody's trying to make make money. So most of photographers are wedding photographers, yeah, but the thing is we have amazing people. Um, so our our project is actually pretty small. Um, we have we have three faithfuls, uh, and then a few others. But we do go uh, we go to places. But the cool thing is we've seen a desire for exploration and and um, showing the beauty and. And stuff. So, like we, actually, we kind of prefer it to be sort of small, uh, 
at the moment just so we can like get a nice portfolio and try to explore. Because once you get more than five people, you can't fit in a car. So you got to think of like trains and multiple cars and, and this kind of thing. Yeah. So what does the club currently look like? And is that an emphasis put more on the collection of images or are you guys showing those images? Or is the is the purpose more in creating community and, and training photographers? What's that looking like right now? So uh, we have a th- kind of a three three purposes. One is to tell the story of Ternopil or show the story of Ternopil, um, create community and uh, build technical skills. So these are kind of the three focuses. And um, so we're we're still trying to trying to work out how to showcase the things we're doing so we we're still we're still building that portfolio because we'd like to do exhibitions or a like a simple book that we can just hand out to coffee shops but the the idea is in a small kind of way uh to to get people interested in the the history and people interested in the beauty people interested in um just what ternopil is uh because it's 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 amazing it's an amazing chunk of of land that has amazing histories sad histories heroic history like it's all right there and um you know everybody asked me um like oh is it is it safe where you're at i'm like yeah it's completely safe and so we also want to we want to show that it's a it's a place to come like like Europeans are always looking for a new place to explore, and this is the place to explore. Yeah. What is your photography like? Is it landscape photography? Is it like city? Is it street photography? Like people, portraits? Yeah. So our photo club, it's everything. Okay. Um, I personally, um, I start out with a more landscape style, like showcasing the castles and, and the landscapes. But uh, uh, I kind of have a per- personal side project right now that I'm building um, where. I, I want to tell people stories, and uh, so I'm starting to do portraiture. Um, one of our, one of, a friend of mine, he was in the war in the east, uh, east of Ukraine. So he started out as a, a, a chaplain, and then be, he became a soldier. So he's like a soldier chaplain, and um, so I'm really, I'm really interested in like telling his story. So like I have his portrait, but I want to add like, like the story behind it. So. Um, when I get back, I, I want to do an interview with him. And so I have a friend that does tattooing in England. Um, and, uh, so I, I got his portrait and his story. And so I'm, I'm trying to get different people, um, and just kind of explore who they are. And, and it's mainly focused on, um, their, their humanity, their, who they are as a human, um, their discipleship, um, and, um, their um their vocation so it's exploring those three three areas for some reason it's always three right (laughs) so yeah i'm really excited about this project um i'm a a novice this is this is really right now it's a hobby project Mm -hmm. um but we are using some of this technique in and some of the stuff we're doing with um uh, my photography friend ryan so he so we're starting to actually do these similar kind of projects in ternopil so it's almost three projects. To yeah, go with so, three. right. So it's it's hard to it's hard to create a photography ministry, right? Because like, what is you, what do you do with that? Um, so we want to tell stories. So right now we're we're still trying to form what stories do we tell? How do we tell it? Where do we put it? So um, yeah, so it's this kind of struggle because you got to create content, 
but somebody like me, right? So it's something that I'm doing alongside of leading the base. Like I was, I was out for six weeks because we were running a leadership school. Um, so it's like, as a missionary, you have to be so many things at once. It's hard to, it's hard to focus in on one thing as like yours, unless you can, right? Well, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, this idea of your ministry. So you have a certain ideology right. that you're, you're walking with. Um, and then you have art, which yeah. is really subjective, which might not go in line with that ideology. Right. And yet that's becoming an element. So you have to give some freedom to the artwork. Right. To let that exist. Um, so in, in YWAM seems to have a, a strong interest in the creative arts. Right. How do you see YWAM balancing the creative arts with ministry? Right. So the thing is we have people, right? Okay. And people have different things, uh, different focuses, different different giftings, different designs. Like this is why they're put on this earth. Um, so we try to. Uh, one of our values is doing things, uh, doing new things in new ways, right? And and so we're we're not afraid of trying things, and and sometimes you fail miserably, but sometimes you succeed greatly. And um, but we want to allow for that opportunity and. And I can say we probably fail more than we succeed, but we keep on trying, you know, uh, because like uh, when we talk about ministry, I'm starting to not like this word ministry. I, I know I say it a lot, but when I really think about it, like what is my ministry? It's not my ministry, right? It's um, it's like it's like God's story in the world. And I'm just participating because that's God created me to participate in his story. So it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm still participating. I mean, I could be, I could be working at, you know, McDonald's and do the stuff that I'm doing. Um, just because I'm part of that story. I'm still, I'm still loving my neighbor. I'm still being generous. I'm still like that. That's my mandate in life. So it doesn't matter if I'm doing it in Ukraine or here. Um, but right now I'm in Ukraine with the tools that I have. So that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So whenever I hear somebody say my ministry, I'm like, it's not yours, first of all. And second of all, you can branch out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, like, I think God has given us a vocation or given us a very specific way of doing things. And, um, and I think we should explore those things. I think we should let Christians be professionals. And in missions, it's very difficult especially with YWAM, because we're, we're doing so many things, we can't be really professional in one thing. So I think that's, that's going to be one of uh, the things that we're going to have to figure out in the future, is how do we create a space for people to be professional, but at the same time understand that they're part of a, a community. So, and that's, that's a difficult, difficult thing to answer for any church or organization or anything, really. So the question was, how do you see creative arts um, working within ministry or the mission field um, in collaborating a very subjective thing such as creative arts? How does that integrate with an ideology such as Christianity? Right. Do you see any conflict there? Do they work well together? Well, I, I think we're, we're coming back into a phase where art has meaning. Um, because um, every, if you look at history, right, when people create some art, 
like it had a very specific meaning. It had a very specific purpose, um, and it had a story behind it. And the the artist was telling a, a real story. Um, and you know, in our recent history, it's like I'm creating something you can interpret it how you like. And I I think there's something detrimental about that um, because it really it just it detracts I think in a lot of ways to art um, kind of letting people interpret how they want um, because like uh, then art is purposeless really um, maybe it's therapy I don't know so I think I think for for us I think we're getting into the place where we have meaning behind our art we have purpose behind it for us it is um, taking photos of the, the region and of the people it's showing that Ukraine has value to the world. Like, it's not just this place that has a war um, that is in conflict and, you know, it's, it's not this place that is, is uh, in, in some sort of poverty. It's not complete. It's a it's developing, developing nation, right? So it has more than that. It has creative people that are beautiful. Uh, the land is beautiful. It has a, has a valuable history. Um, and we can learn from Ukraine. So I think art has a very intrinsic way of actually opening up those doors. Like if you read a book with just history, it's very different than seeing a picture and then attaching that history to that picture, you know? So it, I think art is a very integral part of, of bringing ideas. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, the identity of Ukrainians and where that sits today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an old place where people have been for a very long time, but as you're saying, it's becoming a new nation. What are the reasons for that? Yeah, so um, Ukrainians have always fought for their freedom. Um, they've only been free in the past, you know, however many hundreds of years, a very short time. So for, for Ukrainian trying to understand who they are, they, they, look, they look at the the tribes you know like Kievan Rus was the the founding like it was was a huge foundation for the Slavic world right and um, it started in Kiev right so what's the what's the story there Kievan Rus I don't Kievan Rus so it's I, from what I understand it was brothers that founded the city which became a kingdom and um, so like Russia came out of out of that Ukraine came out of this Kievan Rus. Um, this kingdom. Okay. And uh, then, it, of course, over the, the ages, it split apart and Russia kind of became more more separate and, and Ukraine became more European because, they, you know, the, there's the Austro-Hungarian Empire that came in. Um, there was the, you know, the, the Polish-Lithuanian Empire. Um, and then, you know, then there's the... But Russia had the Mongols come through and the Tatars come through. So, like, the, like the people that kind of took over the, the land was very different from two different size, sides. So you can actually feel the difference in talking to a Russian versus talking to a Ukrainian. So Ukraine, Ukraine kind of sits between uh, a European worldview and a Russian yeah. worldview, and it's kind of the borderlands yeah. between those two worldviews. Right. And... Um, you, you'll often hear Ukraine as the gateway between the East and the West. Okay. And it is very much that. What are your hopes for Ukraine? Like, where do you see Ukraine going in the next five to ten years as a nation? 
Uh, Ukraine is right now switching from the, being this uh, post-Soviet corrupt nation into uh, a place where it's the law has meaning uh, and it's just. And so they're they're coming to more a, a just nation that that really looks after its people, and um, so I'm really excited about that. I you know I've been there for 13 years. I've watched this evolution. Um, I. I I know it's going to take more than 15 years. It's going to be the next 50 years. But I think in the next 50, 100 years, Ukraine is going to be one of those places that actually I think could be a leader in the world um, for for ingenuity and, and just being one of those nations that blesses the world and um, not just, you know, is one of those nations that, that either takes or is a nuisance. So, like, I, I see it I see it being one of those places that really has a... With with the the creativity that Ukrainians have, with um, the the value that they put on human beings, with um, their their desire for um, just just um, living a, a good life that that's inclusive and and really is enriching to others, I think I think Ukraine has has a pretty awesome trajectory to be an awesome nation within the next fifty years. So um, it's not just going to be Eastern Europe. I mean, it's going to be a central power powerhouse of of just awesomeness so yeah that's really cool that's really cool how can people find you um or any other projects that you're working with yeah we uh we have a a blog that we update every once in a while it's uh lance-megan.com can you spell that l-a-n-c-e-m-e-g-a-n.com okay (laughs) i'm always mixing up the the a's and the e's um but then I'm also on Instagram, and it's uh, Strebor eight four four, which is Robert's backwards. So just S T R E B O R eight four four, and that's my that's my Instagram, and it it's linked to uh, another Instagram that we have on the castle hunting that we do. So and how do we find the castle hunting? What's what's that name? Glorious underscore ruins underscore U A. Okay, and you yeah. guys can find that on my website. I'll have links within. The description for this podcast um it's been great talking with you Lynn. yeah shane it's always it's always a pleasure to come and see you and have a chat well this has been exciting to have you on because my hopes for american podcast is that it can not only just be about america but about america's interaction with the world and examining that um and i think you're a great person to have to to give some light on that well thanks man it's yeah been awesome yeah let's go get some food yeah, let's do it <laughs> This concludes part one of my interview with Lance Roberts. Stay posted for part two, which should come out in the next week or so. Thank you again for joining us on American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on social media. This is Shane Simonson signing off until next time.